Okay, I think we're live. So, welcome to Free Association. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is a 10pm UK time, true crime and geopolitics show. And it's become that over the last 90 minutes. And uh, what I'm going to do is just play a couple of clips from... Uh, BitChute, which I'm going to set up now. Obviously, I've had some technical issues tonight, which is why it's taken me 90 minutes to get it online with a good signal. But BitChute's playing nice now, and the laptop's playing nice, so we got there in the end. I do have an Andrew and an Alexander Mercurius clip that I wanted to play, which I now need to find. I've got some Mark Stein from GB News, so I'll play that first and then we'll go maybe into some more GB News clips or straight into the Alexander Mercurius. I don't know yet, we'll see. So this is Mark Stein. Thank you, Polly. I will be interested to see whether that flight to Kigali takes off with uh, any actual asylum seeker on it tomorrow. The Western world is bifurcating into two groups of people. On the one hand, a law-abiding person, such as, in all probability, your good self. Uh, and chaps, fellows like you are now micro-regulated in every aspect of life, whether you're permitted to visit your Auntie Mabel in hospital, whether you can board a flight to go lie on a beach in Spain or visit Cousin Wilf in Brisbane. Oh, don't worry, there's still freedom of movement for an entirely different group of people, a second group of people, free just to wash up on England's southern shore whenever they want. Nobody asks for their passports, their vaccine passports, their proof of a negative test. We're being warned about a legal, lethal new variant right now. It's coming any day. It'll be making landfall uh, any moment now. Scary. We may have to lock down all over again. But the public health emergency without end only applies to you, not to those using the Royal Navy's uh, New Express check-in in the English Channel. So we have two groups, to one of which the ever-multiplying and conflicting rules and micro-regulations simply don't apply. Here, for example, is a mob chasing dozens of policemen out of Peckham in London because the coppers had shown up to enforce a deportation order and their... Uh, and the poor fellow's neighbours didn't care for that deportation order. Don't come back to Peckham. Uh, don't come back to Peckham. Dozens and dozens of policemen chased out of Peckham by a conga line chant. The useless plods had actually succeeded 
in arresting the scheduled deportee, but when the mob surrounded their van, they decided to de-arrest him and release him to the seething hordes of Peckham. As you know, in Britain, everything is policed except crime, so this is the same Metropolitan Police that just a year or two back were ordering home uh, grannies who'd committed the crime of lingering too long on park benches during their government-permitted outdoor exercise period, uh, or they were harassing latte aficionados who had gone to their favourite Costa half a mile away rather than the one round the corner. That the British police can do. But no matter how many hundreds of men they dispatch, they cannot enforce an immigration order. On the other hand, the West Yorkshire police, the same constabulary that uh, turned a blind eye to serial gang rape of girls in Rotherham for decades, uh, the West Yorkshire police managed successfully to arrest a candidate in the Wakefield by-election for, quote, racism and then released him without charge 12 hours later, having successfully scuttled his day's campaigning. The candidate, Paul Golding, of uh, the Britain First Party, uh, is a bit strong meat for a lot of people, but it's not a good sign when the police get to decide which lawful candidates are permitted to meet the citizenry and which aren't. Next time the coppers may decide to shut down your candidate. John O'Sullivan, who'll be on our show tomorrow, made a sharp point here a couple of months back when he observed that the mob, the revolutionary activists on the street, are only fated and celebrated when they act as shock troops for the establishment. The establishment is in favour of open borders, the Prince of Wales is, uh, the House of Lords are, Ben and Jerry's are. So when the revolutionaries prevent immigration enforcement, hooray, good for them. Likewise, they're okay with this scene, a scene from Sheffield, a mob intimidating and bullying a cinema manager into cancelling the film screening. And eventually he surrenders. about Fatima, whom they believe is the only biological daughter of Muhammad, and uh, Sunni Muslims believe something else. So we now have Sunni Shia doctrinal disputes on the streets of Britain. Gotta love that multiculti vibrancy, right? So you can't see the Lady of Heaven in Sheffield, nor can you see it in Bradford, which has just been named the United Kingdom's city of culture. It's, uh, it's certainly extremely cultural. 70% of men under 40 in Bradford are practicing film critics. Uh, you can tell they're film critics because they have full beards and shout Allahu Akbar, which is Arabic for nothing to see here. So much for Yorkshire. How about the Midlands? Birmingham will not tolerate the disrespect of our prophet, peace be upon him, and there will be outcomes from your actions you will have repercussions for your actions we have been trained from birth that we must defend the honor of our prophet and we will lay our life on the line man that is some trenchant movie criticism right there that's tougher than barry norman was 
on uh, Dude, Where's My Car 7 back on Film 93. Let me know your take, gbviews at gbnews.uk. So lots of rhetoric in there. Lots and lots of rhetoric. Uh, the anti-immigration kick is always going to get people to support you, but that doesn't mean it's a real thing. A lot of it is rhetoric. A lot of it is straw man arguments. Here's some comment about Meghan Markle from somebody else on GB News. And if Boris was to topple, and I think it's 50-50, maybe 55-45 that he survives, the Tories might go for something. You know, we're back in 2010, Andrew. We're yeah. back to three Social Democrat passes. Yeah. Well, and it, be, it could be something like Ben Wallace, Defence Secretary, be. had a good war. But you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. Um, You've got money on him. I've got money on him. Like you've probably got more money than, than me. Nadine Tahawi, who I've known since he's set up. A businessman. Set up very successful business. And you tell who would believe him anything yeah. you believe in. Yeah. And here's the other thing about why Nadine Tahawi would be quite clever. Look, the Tories, the first two women prime ministers, well, the first great woman prime minister in, in Mrs. Thatcher, Theresa May's And they're the worst ever. Ever. And then um, they would have the first non-white Tory leader in Nadine Zahawi. What would that say to the Labour Party with all their talk about inclusivity? Why don't we look at, don't we look at people like this? Because, because that people will make a virtue of it. But why don't we just look at people as whether well, they're capable well, well, of well, honest and decent? I don't, I don't think of Nadine as um, uh, a dark. I, I couldn't care less, yeah. Andrew. Yeah. I'm not interested whether yeah. people are black or yeah. white or gay. I couldn't care less. I got into big trouble on Twitter and The Guardian attacked me because I was being attacked on my LBC show. You say, you just don't like uh, um, the Duchess of Sussex or name Meghan Markle because she's black and I said can I just tell you something when I don't see Meghan Markle I don't see no, a black no, woman no, no. I don't see a woman of colour I see an intensely irritating American third-rate actress who's doing everything she can to wreck the royal family I was a racist there you go so that's the that's the um, GB news clips for the time being I think here we go. It's a little bit of night, more not more Nigel Farage, and then I'll find Al Alexander Mercurius. Boris clip. This is why you either love him or can't stand him. Here is Boris Johnson at the Conservative Party conference last year, proposing that we take thirty percent, yes, thirty percent of British farmland out of food production into some Richmond Green idea of. Rewilding. We are going to rewild parts of the country and consecrate a total of 30% to nature. We're planting tens of millions of trees. Otters are returning to rivers from which they've been absent for decades. Beavers that have not been seen on some rivers since Tudor times. Massacred for their pelts and now back. And if that isn't conservatism, my friends, I don't know what is. Build back beaver, I say. There we are, build back beaver. And people thought it was wonderful and hilarious and brilliant. And when farmers said, are you serious about taking 30% of our land out of production? They were told, yes, you've got to get with it. We're going green. Carrie knows what she's doing. And today, there's Boris Johnson meeting with the farming community saying that actually we've got this all completely wrong and we need to abandon this idea and start to grow as much of our own fruit 
and vegetables in this country as we possibly can. And it's vintage, Boris, because those of you that love him couldn't care less that this is U-turn number 48 or whatever it is. And those of you that don't like him can see he hasn't got a single original thought in his head. He U-turns, he chops, he changes. This is a government without thought, a government without purpose, and a government headed, in my opinion, for the electoral rocks. There you go, Nigel Farage, never without an opinion. He's a little bit more of uh, the Nigel Farage show. Andy Mayer on the Nigel Farage show from earlier on this evening. The economy. We got some figures out this morning. They weren't really very good. You'd believe, listening to some media, this was all the fault of the UK government. And much as I'm often their fiercest critic, this is happening right across the Western world. And joining me, Andy Mayer, uh, Chief Operating Officer of the Institute of Economic Affairs, a friend of this programme. Andy, the figures. Are we now in recession? Nigel, we're not in recession. And the figures, as you correctly highlighted, are not that different to what's going on in the rest of the Western world. If we look at the figures the UK government put out, they're monthly GDP figures. And these shouldn't be taken too seriously anyway. These things go up and down they're still all good. the time. They're not great. But you, to be in recession, to be clear, you have to have two quarters consecutive. consecutive of negative growth. And we've not got that. We've got one month and one before. And well, one. The previous one was pretty flat yeah. too. But we're not yet in recession territory. Okay. And it's not the time to be pronouncing the death of the UK economy. So how do we compare to our neighbours? Okay, so last year... We were at the front of the pack of the G7. We did really quite well in what wasn't a particularly good situation then either. At the moment, the OECD forecast for 2022, the OECD, to be clear, is the main forecasting body for the developed nations. Yep. We're ahead of the pack. What they, people have focused on, those people who want to talk Britain down all the time, is that next year the OECD is forecasting will be at the bottom of the pack along with Russia. But we shouldn't take these things just in isolation. So it matters over the course of history how we're doing on GDP on a year-to-year -year basis. So these things, in the long run, the UK isn't doing brilliantly, could do a lot better yes. if it had a pro-growth government and a pro-growth economy. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, allow people to build houses and produce their own energy and all of those things. Uh, but the CBI, our friends that run the big businesses, think they've got the solutions, don't they? Well, okay, so the CBI, I think we, we need to remember that the CBI is like the National Union of Students for Grown-Ups. So all those people who want to be Labour Party ministers one day, they leave the NUS at the end of their student careers and they go to the CBI to become analysts in the business economy. Now, they're rather like the Financial Times in some respects. The FT is described as a business paper that doesn't like business very much. And the CBI is a bit lukewarm on people who are actually innovative. And we will allow the CBI right to reply, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> so they're not, they're not wrong about everything. They, the CBI just occasionally comes out with something radical like maybe cut a few taxes, maybe deregulate a bit. And both of those things are important. Um, but the, what they tend to come out with, firstly, is a very negative assessment because they don't seem to think it's okay to talk up the UK government for whatever reason. And they still hate Brexit. They still dislike Brexit. And they then come up with very small things that won't make a difference. So, for example, in their list of seven things to fix, they come up with let's improve the planning consents of wind farms. Now, that's not wrong. Uh, on the energy picture, and energy is the root of this recession, mm. it would be a good thing to revolutionise planning across the board. Yeah, including house building. Where including I'm, house where building. I'm told a whole series of environmental regulations are holding back 
house building in a very, very big way. Andy, you know, the Institute of Economic Affairs, you are, I guess, a Thatcherite, free market style think tank. Um, if I sit to the IEA, you know, you've got 45 seconds to give me three things government could do. As I said already, I'm not blaming them for everything. There is a downturn going on across the Western world. What three things would the IEA do? First of all, reverse the tax rises that the Chancellor bought in in the spring. They need to go. Secondly, because they slow growth. They slow growth. I mean, we need to stimulate the economy at this point. We don't need to shut it down. We need to revolutionise planning across the board, not just for one type of energy production. And we need to deregulate. The CBI said something about maybe tinkering with the apprenticeship levy. Get rid of it. Let's have instead the ability for companies to offset training against their taxes. And that would help. But they fundamentally need to stop tinkering and take this seriously because they're just terrified of doing anything radical that would actually make a difference. They are. Andy Mayer, thank you very much indeed. So there we are. The figures are not good, but we're not doing quite as badly as some elements of mainstream media would have you believe. All right, let's have a look in the news and politics section. See what's in there. Here we've got some Alex Christoforou. Let's see what he has to say. I'm not sure where he is, but it's uh, it's marked with a sign, so I didn't see what was on the sign, unfortunately. Good morning, everybody from Thessaloniki, Greece. It is around 9.30 on this uh, Monday morning, and I'm here at the Arch of Galerius. Uh, yeah, we're at Galerius right here, and right up from the Arch. You will see the uh, the rotunda. Of Saloniki. And we'll walk up there. And uh, this dates back to the 4th century uh, AD. Roman Emperor Galerius built this. And it's been used as, uh, as an Orthodox church. It's been used as a mosque. And then it was used again as an Orthodox church. You can actually still see the minaret is still there. And uh, it's one of the most famous sites in Thessaloniki. And we're going to talk about some news. I've got a lot of topics that I want to get through. And a lot of them are very clown worldish, I guess is uh, 
is the best way to describe them. I'm actually having a hard time choosing which uh, which topic is going to make the clown world today because I've got just some crazy stories to uh, to get to. Some very unbelievable stories to talk about. But the first story that we're going to cover is the uh, French parliamentary elections. We had the first round of the of the votes for the National Assembly in France and um, President Emmanuel Macron's parliamentary alliance is reportedly projected to win the most votes in Sunday's first round of voting, but it may fail to win enough seats to gain the majority needed to push through his legislative initiatives. The centrist ensemble alliance backing Macron and a far-left bloc were both projected to win about 25-26% of the popular vote in Sunday's first round parliamentary election, state-owned agents France Press reported. The National Rally Party, led by populist Marine Le Pen, who Macron defeated in April's presidential election, won an estimated 19% of Sunday's vote. Ensemble is projected by four polling firms to win between 225 to 310 seats in the parliament. In the final round of voting on June 19th, according to the AFP, the alliance will need to secure 289 seats for an outright majority in the 577-seat National Assembly. Without a majority, Macron may be hard-pressed to get lawmakers to pass his agenda, including pension reforms that he has said are needed to shore up public finances. The, uh, the other coalition alliance is called the NUPES, that's the left-wing alliance, the, the NUPE, I guess is how you pronounce it, and that is with uh, Mélenchon, who is leading that alliance, and they're projected to win around 150 to 220 seats in the National Assembly. The most interesting part about the first round of votes was that uh, you had very, very low voter turnout, with fewer than half of registered voters casting a ballot. Half of registered voters actually turned out for the first round of uh, parliamentary votes in France. What does that tell you? What message is that sending? Move up here so you can see the... Very nice, beautiful arch. Let's walk up to the... Uh... Okay, so that's... Um... Alex Christoforou, let's find Alexander Mercurius now. Finish off with him. So let's have the most recent first. As you can all see, I'm back in London, and may I first of all take this opportunity to thank you all who have borne with me over the last few weeks whilst I was in the Peak District and put up with the sometimes poor pictures and not particularly good sound that came from travelling. Hopefully all that is now behind us and you can all see and hear me clearly. Well, Coming back uh, from the Peak District, we find that the global crisis around Ukraine continues, but there's lots of other things going on at the same time. President Macron's party has, put, has had a deeply disappointing result. 
the French the first round of the French parliamentary elections. It now looks possible that he will lose his parliamentary majority, in which case he may be forced to cohabit with a prime minister, not of his choosing, and could very well find himself a lame duck president for the remainder of his presidential term. We will be discussing that, Alex Christoforo and I, in a video which we will be doing on the Duran. There's also been some extremely um, unhappy, difficult talks between the military leaders of China and the United States. The US came away from those talks. This is between General uh, Austin, Lloyd Austin, the US Defense Secretary, and his Chinese opposite number. The US came away saying that the talks had gone reasonably well and that the Chinese comments on Taiwan were less strong than they have been in the past. That is incomprehensible. The Chinese have gone out of their way to reject that. And in fact, one gets the sense that far from the situation over Taiwan settling, it is actually deteriorating, making the prospect of war there even more likely. That too is a subject that I'm going to discuss in a programme with Alex Christoforo. And the third, <coughs> third topic, which is in fact directly connected to our topics, our topic today, which I'm afraid will again be about Ukraine, is the deteriorating economic situation. Incomprehensibly, there was some discussion in the United States um, over the last few weeks that inflation there might have peaked. There then comes in the shock May numbers which show inflation continuing to rise. And in Britain, we've now had confirmation of a GDP contraction, which also incomprehensibly seems to have come as a shock both to the political community and to the economic, uh, the economic uh, community as well. I find both surprises, both the fact that inflation is increasing in the United States and indeed worldwide, and the surprise about the economic contraction in Britain, frankly baffling. And it suggests to me increasingly that the political, media and to some extent academic class are losing touch, increasingly losing touch with reality and with the general experiences of ordinary people. Well, this topic too, I will be discussing in a video with Alex Christoforo. If you want to see these videos, which we do with Alex Christoforo, you can always go to the Duran on YouTube. But I would also suggest that you join us on Locals. If you uh, go to our Locals homepage, you find links under this video. You will find all of our videos there, the videos I do the videos Alex himself does, and the Duran videos. And you will find in time, as each of these videos is loaded, all of the videos that we have there. And we have an outstanding locals community, which um, provides you with huge opportunities for interaction. And of course, we are increasingly doing exclusives, exclusive content, publishing exclusive content on locals. I will be doing a further update shortly on the state of the Russian economy following the further interest rate 
cut on Friday. I'll be saying a few things about that later in this video, but I'll be doing a proper exclusive program on this um, on locals and of course on Wednesday this Wednesday I will be resuming my Wednesday live streams on locals which will take place every Wednesday at 1400 hours Eastern Standard Time except of course when I'm away as I have been over the previous week anyway that's housekeeping material let me now get on to the topic of today's video again is about Ukraine and I'm afraid I'm not going to apologize for the fact that all of my recent videos well, all the way back back to the outset of the war um, in February have been about Ukraine because we have a crisis of comparable and arguably greater importance looming over Taiwan um, which could break out perhaps perhaps later the main crisis at the moment, the big crisis around which all global affairs are rearranging, is the crisis which is currently underway in Ukraine. And that crisis, as I've discussed in many programs, is both a military crisis, it's a, it's a military conflict between uh, Russia and Ukraine, but with Ukraine now increasingly acting as a problem principally, of course, the United States. to bit shoot at least so let's let's try again with that I think we've lost Alex Christopher Mercurius but never mind we did get some of him um I'm going to stop there, that would be just half a mark to show in the evening tomorrow as well, I think. I did try and get on at 8.30 my time tonight, but it took me until 10 o'clock because of various uh, tech leaves. But at least I got half a ring. Uh, so that's, that's good enough for, for now. I'm going to regular slot together again sometime in the evening between half eight and half ten. And I'll be on. Uh, but that, that's probably, probably it for now. I'm, I'll see you, see you all tomorrow. Thanks for coming in, Freedom Warrior and Raccoon 6. Appreciate your company and your support. Uh, hopefully we can get a conversation together tomorrow at some point. And, uh, yeah, have a real conversation about real things in the world. All right, I'll I'll be I'll be on a couple of times tomorrow, but I'm going to try and make it uh, a definite thing for the evening, um, and there'll be a, maybe a pop up show on show in the afternoon. Well, yeah, we'll see you see you tomorrow, guys. Thanks for coming in.